Amen. Morning, church. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, man, day after Christmas, I'm about five o'clock last night. I'm like, tomorrow morning is Sunday, and I'm preaching a sermon. This has been a whiplash, uh, but it is good to be with you all this morning. It really is uh, the day after Christmas. And you know, I was thinking um, this this uh, day after Christmas can always be a bit of a letdown, right? Like there is this anticipation, uh, the countdown is on, the advent calendar has been getting closer and closer to zero, and then you finally have Christmas morning, the present you were hoping to get, and, 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 and it turns out that that new iPhone, or the, the virtual reality thing that my nephew got, or the Lego set, or the toolkit, or the outfit, didn't fulfill all of my deepest longings. Who would have known? We may all have uh, thought what we, we, we wanted uh, for Christmas was that present, or maybe even, usually it's even a little bit deeper than that. Ross talked about on Christmas Eve that desire to be with faithful friends who are dear to us once more. And we, uh, we, we, also, we find that whatever it was, whether it was the idea of, of family and friends being close and happy or the, the material gifts, we find out that the day after Christmas looks like this. Right? It's a pile of bows and wrapping paper, and the kid is happier with the box than the $80 present that was in the box. Come on. And we feel bloated after overeating. Anybody here ready for some New Year's resolutions in the house? We're still lonely. We're still depressed. We're still anxious. We're still discontent. We are still a hot mess, so much for the most wonderful time of the year. Right? Merry Christmas, everybody. Glad you came this morning. Right? <laughs> I was doing great till Pastor Grinch Scrooge showed up, right? But these, these days, they remind us they, they, of our, what is the desire of our heart? What ultimately is it we're looking for? We know it's not the wrapped gift. We know it's not even the perfect day that would fit a Hallmark movie. So what is the deepest desire of our hearts? If you've ever been unsure about what you really want, a very simple tool that I could offer you this morning, a revealer of desires, is the flip of a coin, like literally. So if you're not sure, there's a decision you're making and you're not sure which way you're going to go on it. You're asking life's hard questions. I've got a sandwich. Do I put mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? I don't know. There is one right answer to that, by the way. Do I want to go to this place or that place for vacation? Whatever it might be, flip the coin. And what I've found is the coin can reveal if you actually had a preference or not. If it comes up heads and you're like, yes, then you knew you had it. Or, ah, or if you really were indifferent, you're like, okay, I'll just go with whatever tales was supposed to be, right? It could be a revealer of a deeper desire that maybe we didn't even know that we had. But today, Luke wants to tell us about the one thing that will reveal the deepest desire of our hearts. So today is one day after Christmas. Our story this morning takes us 41 days after the original Christmas. We're going to be looking at the deepest desire of Simeon's heart. Uh, Simeon is a man uh, in the Bible. We only hear this story about him, 11 verses on the life of Simeon. But in these 11 verses in Luke 2, we're going to get this amazing insight into the deepest desire of Simeon's heart. It's not revealed by a coin flip, it's by a little baby that he's going to be holding in his arms, a baby that he has been eagerly expecting. And from this story, my prayer for us this morning is that the Holy Spirit would, would guide us into looking at the deepest desires of our own heart, and my prayer is that ultimately it would be the person of Jesus himself. Before that, I want to start with a word of prayer, if you'd pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning, off a crazy week, schedules and family and baking and present wrapping, and we just want to take this morning to just invite the Holy Spirit as we sang him earlier today, just to, just to be revealing in us what the, if there are desires other than Jesus, these flimsy desires that will not sustain us, 
that we would replace those, those idols that we just sang about repenting and, and replace them with the true treasure, the true present, Jesus' presence. And Father, we just need your Holy Spirit to speak through me and your word this morning, that your word and your spirit would penetrate our hearts, change our hearts, tune them into God's deeper, better desires for us. We can't do that on our own. So we're just asking you and your spirit to do in us and through us what we can't on our own devices. It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. So two things we want to look at this morning. If you got your notes, if not, back out on that table, there's a little bulletin, and in there there's a, well, I guess it's a normal size bulletin, but on there there's a fill out the blank thing. You can follow along if you would like to do that. Number one is we're going to see Simeon's deepest desire. Simeon's deepest desire. So verse 25 of Luke 2 says it this way. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now when we read the Bible, sometimes we impose our own ideas onto it, and the text doesn't necessarily say something that we think. One of these is that we all, I don't know about you, I've always assumed that Simeon was old. Have you assumed, I don't know why we assume that. Maybe because Anna in the next story is 84 years old. And Simeon's like, don't put me in the old person box with Anna, right? <laughs> you don't know me. We got sassy Simeon this morning. It is assumed, I think partly because he says, now your servant can depart in peace. So maybe there's this idea that we can maybe take that to mean, okay, I'm going to die in peace like right now. Like I'm old and I'm about to die. It's going to immediately happen. They're like, grab that baby because he's going down, right? Let's get him. But this, what does this story actually tell us about Simeon? It says this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So what we see here, oh, no, we still read. It, it had been revealed, verse 26, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. It doesn't say how long that death was, you know, how long it would be until that day. Guided by the Holy Spirit, verse 27, he entered the temple. The, when, the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, we'll look into that more, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, and we're going to read in a moment the famous song or words of Simeon. But what do we see here about Simeon? Simeon believes that Yahweh, his God, has promised to rescue Israel. And that he is told uh, through, through the Holy Spirit that he won't die until he sees his rescuer. And then the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple in Jerusalem where he sees the child, holds him in his arms, and then praises God. This song is classically called Nunc Dimittis. The word nunc diminis are Latin for the first two words in the song in Latin, which are now dismiss. Now dismiss your servant in peace. This, was a, this is a song that throughout church history has been sung or prayed. Often it comes in the evening prayer in, in, the, in the church liturgy uh, because we're depart, now I depart in peace as we go to sleep at night. And, and it's, it's beautiful. If you can go to YouTube, there's some really pretty versions of this song that are sung that you can hear. Now, it actually says in the Greek that he said this. Uh, we, it, not necessarily that he busted out into a Disney musical on the spot, um, but, but think more in the lines of poetry as far as a song that he sung. And I think what this text draws out is Simeon's deepest desire. And I see the, this in these two words, nunc dimittis, now dismissed. So let's look at each one of these. A, uh, how is he going to be dismissed? Dismissed how? Verse 25, Simeon was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. That word consolation means comfort. And it's not just like a blanket. It, this is an idea of rescue. And this is, Luke is riffing on uh, Isaiah's prophecies. And one of them in particular is Isaiah chapter 40, which says, comfort, comfort, 
my people, says your God. Consolation, rescue. Why? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, which is right where Simeon is in this moment, and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. He says, Jerusalem, you're in sin. You're in bondage to these oppressive nations. Why? Because of the disobedience of your heart. You need forgiven and you need freed. That is the comfort that they are looking forward to, that, that, that Simeon is looking forward to. So, but what, what comes next? He says uh, he's looking forward to the comfort or consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, this is an interesting wordplay here by Luke because he's looking for comfort. And who does Jesus say that the Holy Spirit is? He says he's the comforter. So he's looking for the comfort of him and his people and who is upon him? the one who will comfort. And how does, how does the Holy Spirit comfort him? What does he do? Well, he leads him to the rescuer of their sin, from their, who will come to rescue them from their sin and from their bondage. Verse 26, it has been revealed to him by the comforter that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, by the comforter, he entered into the temple where Jesus is. And I've always wondered, like, how did he know that that was Jesus? Like, is there, like, a halo above Jesus' head? Like, neon signs, a paparazzi guy? How did he know that? What, all it says here is that the Holy Spirit led him there and revealed it to him. The details are, 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 are not there for us. But I think, isn't this exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us? Like, the Holy Spirit says, Justin, that's the one. Like, that's your comforter. That's the rescuer from your sin and bondage. That is the one to be your deepest desire. And Jesus said, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to guide us to Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to take the truth of what Jesus said and teach it to us. That's your teacher. That's the truth and the way and the life. Trust him and obey him. Follow Jesus. But why are Joseph and Mary in the temple in the first place? says this is where they meet him and the verses right before this shed a little bit of light on this and there is some amazing background that leads us to this culminating moment of Simeon's song so I want to take a moment rewind the clock and why Israel and the world needs rescue from sin and bondage in the first place we go back to uh, verse 21 when eight the eight days were completed for his circumcision he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived remember comes to Mary when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was finished, we'll talk about what that means in a minute, they brought him to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord. Right? That's a weird Trinity moment. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So a lot going on here. If you remember back to page three of the Bible, what happened? Adam and Eve sin and God curses them. And what was the curse of the, of the woman? That she would have pain in childbearing. We're about to find out this a little bit more personally in March, as Jill and I will both go through hard things uh, in, in March. Uh, but the midst, she's like, I hate that my husband's a pastor. But in the midst, in the midst of the curse, God makes a promise, right? What does he promise? A seed will come from the woman, a son born of the woman who will do what? Who will crush the head of the serpent, defeat sin and death. Out of the cursed pain of childbearing will come a little child who will reverse that very curse. You fast forward in the story to Exodus. The rescuing son we see is going to come from the nation of Israel. And how is God's son, as the Old Testament calls Israel, how is the Israel born? Well, again, out of pain. 
that God delivers them out of their bondage in Egypt. And how does it culminate? The 10th plague is the death of every firstborn male. And, And God says, the only way to spare your son is to do what? To take the blood of an innocent lamb and put it over the doorposts. Now God commands Israel to remember this moment. Remember the moment that I spared your firstborn. As you go forward as a nation, you are going to dedicate every firstborn male, human or animal, to me. He says this in Exodus 13. Lord spoke to Moses, consecrate, set apart, dedicate to me, every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal. It is mine. God says that firstborn son belongs to me. Now, they would bring him eventually to the tabernacle or to the temple. They don't just leave the baby there, right? They didn't leave Jesus there crying in the middle of the temple floor. We gave him to you, God. We'll see what happens. What what happens next? He says, actually, you're going to dedicate him in in an act, but you get him back. How? Through the sacrifice of a lamb in the place of that firstborn. Pointing us back to this original Passover moment. When the the sparing of life will come, the giving of life, you you redeem the life of your child back. How? By another, an innocent one's blood being shed in its place. You can see the picture going forward, can't you? But why this weird practice? He says, when your son asks you, why did you have to buy me back by by the blood of an innocent lamb? He says, in the future, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He says, this will be a picture to remind you that the rescue of my son Israel, the rescue of my people will come through the shedding of a lamb. That's the only way for the son to be bought back into the presence of the father. But Mary and Joseph, they don't bring him to the temple for dedication until day forty. Or 41. Why do they wait so long? He was circumcised on the eighth day, it says. Why, why wait 33 more days? Well, according to the law, it says their, their day of purification needed to finish. So the mother, in this case Mary, was seen as unclean for 40 days after their birth. You can read this in Leviticus 12. Um, this was what they called an impure bleeding. Any um, genital discharge, Merry Christmas, uh, was seen as this impure impurity. It, it made the person ceremonially unclean. And so there was this impure bleeding, and and in order to come 40 days later, they couldn't enter into the holy temple if they themselves were not holy. They were impure. So after 40 days, they would come to the temple, and again, they would offer a lamb. A lamb would bleed purely for the sake of the one who is bleeding impurely. But notice that they don't offer a lamb. They offer doves and and turtle doves and, and pigeons. Why? Well, that was typically seen if you were not able to afford a lamb. Leviticus 12 says you can, you can give these offerings. They were a cheaper animal to own than the lamb. And so do you see this? Jo- Joseph and Mary were poor. They were unable to provide a lamb on their own. They could not come up with the innocent sacrifice for their purity. And so this moment leads us to the Holy Spirit sovereignly guiding Simeon into the temple as the blood of a pure male lamb is being shed in order to buy back the firstborn son and cleanse the mother of her impurity, pointing them to the son of the woman who would be born as a, identified as a sinner, 
so that we could be identified as the righteous, providing for us what we could not provide on our own. This whole thing pointed to the person of Jesus. And it's in this moment that Simeon, and I love this artist's rendition of of Simeon. Now, again, they put him as an old man. Sorry, Simeon. But we see that the expression on his face as he holds the light of the world in his eyes. And it's in this moment, as he's tracking with all this imagery that's leading to Jesus, that he says these words. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. You can dismiss me. Now, the word that Simeon uses here for dismiss is amazing. Do you remember the, the Holy Spirit told him, he said, you would not see death until you see your Savior. But Simeon uses a different word than, than death here. What he says is, he doesn't say, now I can die in peace. He says, you can now dismiss me in peace. And this word dismiss is incredible. The word actually means to set free, to let go, to release. You can release me. You can free me in peace. It was a word that was used in several contexts, and you can see the imagery. Actually, the word in the New Testament is also translated to forgive, to set free, to let go. And it can be used for a captor who's in chains. It can be used for an accused criminal, and it can be used for a debtor. Do you see the, the picture here? He says, I, the, the captive, can be set free. I, the accused, can be declared innocent. I, the debtor, can be released from my debt. It will be paid in full. And how does he say he can be dismissed? In peace. In peace. Peace with his God because of the beautiful work of the Trinity here. The comforting spirit leads him to what his God had told him about what the son would do to forgive and to rescue the comfort of Israel from their sin and bondage. Peace. And I love how J.C. Ryle says this. Simeon speaks like one for whom the grave has lost its terrors and the world its charms. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. He says, you can dismiss me how? In peace. Why now? Why now at this moment can I be dismissed in peace? And he tells us in verse 34, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Because Simeon has seen the snake crusher. Simeon has seen the one who will reverse the curse. The one born of the woman. The innocent lamb who would be sacrificed to pay his debt. Forgive his crimes and free him from his chains. Because the father would buy back the prodigal son through the blood of the lamb. And it's not just for Simeon. It's for his people. In fact, for every person on planet earth who would receive their king. You have prepared it, he says, verse 31, in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. He says, this salvation is for everybody. Now, the Holy Spirit has made good on his promise. Remember back in verse 26, what did he say? It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So this promise is is that Simeon would see his salvation, and now he's holding it in his arms. What a bizarre moment that this fragile, vulnerable little baby will become his strong deliverer. But really, all that's happening is his bodily eyes, his physical eyes, are seeing what his eyes of faith had already seen over the duration of his life. 
He believed that, the, that from the garden would come this snake-crushing rescuer. Simeon believed the promise that a substitute lamb would be offered to purify us and make the impure pure again to be able to enter into the holy presence of our God. So how is the, the secret, of the, the deepest desire of, of Simeon's heart revealed? It's through the person of Jesus. And I think it's summed up in verse 25. Simeon was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. This word looking forward, it means to receive or accept a thing offered as he receives Jesus into his arms. To expect the fulfillment of promise. So what's he receiving into his arms? The promise of the rescued one. I love that the new living says he eagerly expected. This is kind of an oxymoron, right? It's like, hurry up and wait. I'm waiting. I can't wait. I'm waiting. I can't wait. Like that's the the desire of Simeon's heart. And Simeon is devoted to his God. It said he's righteous. He's devout. He believes who his God is. My God is good. My God is an all-powerful promise keeper. And so he eagerly expects God to come through for his rescue for him and his people. And as he's holding Jesus in his arms, like, this is my only hope. This is our only shot. This is, this is our only peace. This is the only thing that will satisfy us. How do we know that's what he believed? Because he literally received Jesus, the expected promised one, into his arms. The Holy Spirit didn't drag him into the temple. We drag some of our kids here to church the morning after Christmas, right? Or your husband. Holy Spirit led Simeon where he wanted to go to Jesus. Simeon believed, so he, would, so he received Jesus. If we believe God, we will believe Jesus and actually be embraced in his arms. How was Simeon's deepest desire revealed? By what he did with Jesus. Jesus exposed the deepest desires of Simeon's heart. So we turn the corner and we ask, what about us? What about us? Our deepest desire revealed. This, takes, this story takes kind of an ominous shift from this beautiful moment. Verse 33, his father and mother, we're talking about Joseph and Mary, were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise, fall and rise, there we go, of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. Then he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul which I take to mean a foreshadowing of the moment when she watches her son 33 years later being speared and crucified on a cross. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon explains that Jesus will affect, how Jesus will affect the people who he has come to save. He's going to reveal their heart thoughts. As we read the rest of Luke's gospel, we see this come true, right? Jesus reveals Israel's hearts. You think about the Pharisees. Their hearts are revealed. The story says they're jealous of Jesus, that that they see the people following Jesus instead of them. I want you to love me. They're afraid of losing control of the nation. So who who are they really about? God being loved, God being in control, or people loving them and them being in control? And Jesus says what you really love is money. Because the money is revealed. You want control and power in your life. And you think that money will get, you want to be the God of your own heart. Jesus reveals the hearts. And it says he'll be the fall and rise of many. There are some who will be risen with Jesus. But there will be more who will fall on him as a stumbling block. And the people as a whole will crucify him and reject his claims to be the Messiah as blasphemy. Do you most deeply desire God or yourself? So we ask, what's the deepest desire of our heart? Now, we know the Sunday school answer, right? Everybody said, Jesus! But really, what is the deepest desire of our heart? And that is going to be revealed in the way that we live. 
The word belief, you can think of it this way, it's by life. What do we really believe? I can say Jesus is my deepest desire, but to be honest with you, most days I live by life like my deepest desire is to be loved by everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm a Pharisee, right? I'm a card-carrying people pleaser. I want to be validated by the approval, and I'm terrified of the disapproval of the people around me. Or I also put my, my security into a false thing like money. If my savings account is full enough, I've got power and control in my life. What a farce. Ultimately, it's what we believe about Jesus. It'll be seen by the way that we live, by life. Do I follow him or am I going my own way? So the question is, how do I make Jesus and his kingdom my deepest desire? Well, the gospel tells us that we know as sinners we can't. And that's where we come to discover, like Simeon, that the only, only in Jesus can we find forgiveness and freedom from our sin. Comfort will only come in the Lord Jesus. But he did more than just forgive our sins. I love in Galatians 5, it talks about it this way, New Living. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What a beautiful truth. That our old, sinful, selfish desires, it says, have actually been crucified to the cross with Jesus. The old desires that put myself first, it says, those have been defeated. But now there's this battle in our hearts where we can feel, we, we can either allow the old sinful desires to lead us and guide us, or like Simeon, we can let the Holy Spirit and his better desires lead us. And there's this conflict he talks about in Galatians, and this is super helpful because I feel this every day. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Does anybody feel this? Like, I know the, the things that I, I want to do, but then I also feel these things that, that, are, that are opposite of what, the, what I feel like God would want me to do. But I want to do those things, right? We feel that internal struggle. So how do we practically, though, like, what is it actually, because that's all vague, right? Like, let the Spirit guide your life, not your sinful, like, I don't, what does that mean? So I want to give you two practices in closing here, what it can look like to walk by faith. We do these things by faith. There are things that you and I can do in our lives to put us in a place where the Holy Spirit can do what only He can do. So two practices to think about. A, confession. Confession, finding Jesus as Savior. So Jesus said to enter into his kingdom, we have to do two things. He said, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent and believe. We step into the light of Jesus' kingdom when we say, I am a sinner and I am wrong and you are my savior and you are my rightness. And then we're fully forgiven, right? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. But to keep walking in that light means that we keep confessing our sin when we inevitably continue to sin. But not just silently to God. That's one thing. You ready for the freaky part? It's also to do it out loud to another human who is alive. James 5 says it this way, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other why? That's where you're going to find healing. So I can tell you firsthand, like my victory of 20 years of bondage to pornography addiction, a disordered desire, 
came from not just confessing it to my God. It came from confessing it out loud to my alive best friend, Jacob. And then to step into a community called Celebrate Recovery and confess those sins and, and confess, come weekly as I was to this group of people. And I will tell you, it was the most freeing experience in my life. When we confess our sin, when we repent and believe, we will find the Spirit leading us to heart change and freedom from our chains. I love John Mark Comer says it this way, just the act of naming your sin out loud to people, and this is key, to people you know and trust has the power to break chains. We all want freedom from our sins, but man, it is scary to take that first step toward it. So I want to ask you this morning, who do you know and trust that you need to confess your sins to out loud? Maybe that's the step, or maybe you need to start pursuing relationships where you can know somebody and be known by somebody and build that trust so you can share those sins. This confession finds Jesus as Savior and freedom from those sins. The second practice, and you might not have thought that we would go this way, but I guess day after Christmas, it's a good place to start. Fasting, okay? We find Jesus not only as Savior, but as sustenance. Now, fasting is not a normal practice today, right? You probably didn't see that one coming. And I know there are health considerations in these kind of... But for Jesus, this practice was assumed. He, at that time, everybody was... He, he didn't say, if you fast. He, he, when he teaches, he says, when you fast, fast this way. He also says, the next paragraph, when you pray, pray this way. Jesus didn't see either as optional. And again, John Mark Homer, he explains, what, why do we fast? He says it this way, fasting trains our bodies to not get what they want. See, our sinful flesh desires things, and, and at least it teaches them to not get them all the time, right? And not immediately, and not in the wrong way. It's desire training. Because listen, fasting is from food, but it's not just for food, to become better at just not eating as much, right? It practices you, teach, teaches you to practice, there we go, teaches you to practice, pra it's practice to teach you, <laughs> Not to depend, not to depend on anything other than Jesus. So when you go to the gym, I just want to throw this picture up of me working out. Um, that was strong laughter. But don't, we don't just lift weights. Like, I'm not lifting a dumbbell that in case, like, I'm driving down the road and I see a dumbbell in the middle of the road, I'm like, I've been training for this moment. I know how to lift up a dumbbell, right? I gotta, we lift with the dumbbell so to be able to use our arms and strength and health for all the activities of our life, right? And so the same way, fasting helps us with lots of different facets of our fleshly desires. So in my recovery from pornography, I found I was also a compulsive overeater. That I was going to the refrigerator for the same thing I was going to the laptop for, to feel good in the moment, immediate gratification. And so fasting helps us not just with the appetite for food, but also to fight lust, also to fight impatience. If we give, and here's, here's the deal, guys. If we give in to our fleshly desires and the little things, it will grow and grow until we continue to give our, into our fleshly desires in the big things. It never starts out over here. It always starts out over in the small things. A couple years ago, Jill and I, first year we were married, uh, it was Halloween night. She was a nurse uh, going into the hospital to work night shift. It was just going to be me and a giant thing of candy, right? And all these kids that it's supposed to be for. And so they're, they're going to be coming to the house. And I told Jill the next morning, I want you to ask me how many pieces of candy I ate on my own. The right answer is three. Okay? Not four, not three and a half. And so the next morning she asked me and I was able to tell her three. Now, now if I ate four, is like Satan going to descend upon me and eat up my soul? No. But here's the deal. 
Today it can be a fourth piece of candy. Tomorrow it can be infidelity. We have to learn. This is not a game, you guys. Like, this is life and death. And if we do not learn how to curb our desires in the small things, it will lead us to the big things. And it leads us to a road of destruction. So this is a practice And it implies trying and experimenting and seeing what works. This isn't legalism. God doesn't love you more if you fast. It's teaching us that there's a deeper desire, a better way for us than those fleshly impulses. And maybe for you, it just starts out by skipping one meal or maybe even just delaying it for a few hours. And what I would, what I encourage you is in that moment, just to spend, we talked about last week of the silence and solitude. Pray for the people in your life. Be still and know he is God and pray that he would conform your desires to his, that he would conform the desires of those around you to his and his savior. So what do we really want in life? What is our deepest desire? It's not going to be a coin flip that reveals that. Ultimately, it's going to be Jesus and it's going to be by the way that we live. We can either believe Jesus and follow after him or we can go our own way, be the king of our own life, do whatever we want. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. And here's the thing. The good and scary news is that God will always give us what we want. So Romans 1, it says it this way. Uh, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to disgraceful passions. If we say, God, I don't want you. I want to go my own way. He will let us. Like That's ultimately what hell is. Giving us over to our own sinful desires. But the beautiful news is we say, God, I want you. Psalm 37 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. God says, if you want me, I'm actually dying to give myself to you. In fact, I did die to give myself to you. Simeon knew that his only hope was a rescuer, a rescuer outside of himself that was sent by God to comfort his people. In the world. Simeon, that's why I love this, this the, the, the world imposed on the background there. Jesus didn't just come for Simeon or Israel, but for the entire world, the Gentiles like you and I. And Simeon has spent a lifetime of practicing the way of Yahweh, faithfully giving himself to what God had promised him, his desires. And listen, you and I are no different than Simeon. Simeon had yet to see Jesus in, in person. He was waiting for that day. You and I have yet to see Jesus with our physical eyes, but we look forward to that day that he's coming back by faith. Holy Spirit led Simeon to Jesus to take him in his arms. He's going to lead us to Jesus, that we will be taken up into his. Now, the Holy Spirit promised Simeon that he wouldn't see, that he wouldn't die before he saw Jesus. The Holy Spirit hasn't promised us. Some of us might if he comes back sometime soon. But what he does promise us is that in death, we will see our life, our Savior. At the end here, I love this this uh, John Trapp quotes an old poet. It's so old that we don't even know who said it. But it's this beautiful retelling of the story of Simeon. And, and this is Simeon talking as he looks down into the, into the eyes of Jesus. There's no way I'm going to get through this with cry, without crying, so let's just do this thing. So I want you to picture yourself in Simeon's place, holding Jesus Christ in your arms. He says, I fear no sin. I dread no death. I have lived long enough. And as he looks down into his arms, he says, I have my life. I have longed enough. I have my love. I have seen long enough. I have my light. I have served enough. I have my saint. I have sorrowed enough. I have my joy. 
Sweet babe, let this psalm serve as a lullaby to thee and for a funeral for me. Oh, sleep in my arms and let me sleep in thy peace. I want to end praying this Nunc Dimittis, Simeon's song together. And the, the gals can come back up here. We're going we're gonna to sing uh, after this. If you'd stand up with me. I want us to say this together. We're going to pray this and say, do I actually mean these words? Do I believe these words? And we trust the Holy Spirit will bring us to that place where we can believe what we're saying here. We'll read this together and then we'll continue to worship our God. So you'd read the words on the screen with me. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Amen.